Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now today, I'm absolutely over the moon, as they say, uh, in many walks of life. I've got somebody on the end of a, a Zoom call and uh, it's taken us um, a little while to get there, but with a little bit of tenacity, we've actually made it. Um, I'm talking to somebody who I, I know relatively well from working with and somebody who's given up their valuable time to be with us. You couldn't get somebody with more experience. And I read a book recently about the great Bill Shankly, who said he'd given his life to the game. And I think you could quite easily fit this person into that category. Um, An eminent footballer with the enigmatic Manchester City side in the 1970s, I think if I'm writing, he'll correct me in a minute. Um, he played something like 16 seasons with one club, which probably maybe will never happen again. I don't know, but it's just amazing. One, you know, European silverware and domestic silverware, international honours. Um, I'd like to introduce you to leader manager coach to the great Joe Corrigan. Joe, welcome along. Thank you very much indeed, Rob. Lovely to be here. Well, thank you for giving your time up and um, we'll get straight into it. So for any of our younger listeners who are thinking, mm, I'm not quite sure, I've, and maybe my dad talked about him, um, but just give us a little bit of a history of, of, of kind of, you know, your early years, really, how you got into football and how you got into your, your career. That would be a great start, Joe. Well, how it started was I, from, the, from, the, from the day I can ever remember anything. I always wanted to be a goalkeeper, and that is a long, long time ago. Yeah. And for, for some unknown reason, I just never wanted to play any other position. And I used to play for the school, and the, 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 the teachers would say, because I was a big, big lad. I was a big lad when I was five. I was a big lad when I'm, well, even now. But you can't play in goal. We want you to play centre-half or centre-forward. But I always wanted at half time I'd go in goal and dive about, and at full time I'd dive about again. And that's how I actually got into football. I left school, I went to grammar school, couldn't play football. Um, I played rugby union, and um, it was before I was a second row forward, and it was, um, it was before all this lifting came into it. You had to use your own ability to jump up in the air, yeah, and to catch that odd shape ball, um, which was a great grounding, really. But anyway, cut a long story short, I left a um, grammar school and went to uh, electrical engineering. And while I was in there, I was playing in an interdepartmental game, playing as a centre-half again. And I went in goal at half-time, went in goal at full-time. Just before we started setting nets down, a guy came round and he said to me, I used to play in the British Army. Um, I said, oh, that's brilliant, man. He said, I was a goalkeeper Fantastic. He said, would you like a trial for one of the big teams in Manchester? Think, and I went, oh, yeah, brilliant, thinking, no chance. Funnily <laughs> enough, to, about a month later, I left training school and went into a department called Tool and Gauge at AEI. 
And in that department was this guy who came, and he came up to me with a, a card from Harry Godwin saying, would you like to have a trial? In, it was October, I think, my trial was. So I replied, saying, yes, I'd come. Went down to the game, played the game, got on the bus to come back from Cheadle back to Main Road. And he got off the bus and said to me, Joe, I want a word with you in the office. Right. So I went in the office and he said, would you like to sign for us? I went, <laughs> anyway, I said, yeah, certainly. He said, we're only going to sign you for amateur now, and but you know, you still got your education and your work to, to carry on with. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then oh, about, I think it was about three or four weeks after that, my dad came, the, the postman had come, which he used, he used to come early in those days, postman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not half 11. You know, Imagine he had two deliveries a day, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he said, here, have a look at this. And it was another postcard right. from Manchester United. Really? Yeah. And I looked at it and he, I looked at him and my dad and I said, what do you think? And he took it off me, looked at it and he ripped it up and put it in the bin. Oh my days. I take it he was a main road supporter. He <laughs> <laughs> just said to me, Joe, he said, you've signed for Manchester City. Right. You've got to take it right. You've made that decision Fair all the way. So the following February, and that was in February 67, um, 1967, not 1867, <laughs> I, uh, I was asked by Malcolm Allison and Joe Mercer to sign um, for the professional term. And because I'd gone past my 18th birthday, I wasn't allowed to sign. Uh, so I've lost all track of time. I wasn't allowed to sign apprentice professional. I had to sign full-time pro. And like swaggering away off sign up a full-time pro. And Dave Ewing come up to me one day, he says, You're still an apprentice in my eyes, son. You do you do what yeah. the rest of the lads do. So I was then I was That's like cleaning boots and cleaning the dressing rooms, painting the stands, and oh it was, it was a great What a great story, Joe. I mean I'm sure that you'll be in a minority in terms of people who didn't get interested or didn't sign schoolboy or didn't get, you know, 14, 15. I'm certain one of the few who went to a grammar school and played rugby and, you know, had to make your own way with your goalkeeping, really. You know, so you're a rarity in that point of view. Um, But what a great story. So you were, you'd signed pro, but you were still cleaning boots and all that. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. We had to knock on the door to go into the first team dressing room and, you know, it went, even when you were injured, because the first team, where the physio room was right, you had to go through the first team dressing room, through the shower room and into the physio. So, but you still had to knock on the door, even if you had, you know, yeah. if you're on crutches and, and you, yeah. you know, excuse me, may I come through? Like, you know. And Absolutely. Shaking, you know. shaking. Beautiful. But it gave, you, it gave you the sense that, that you wanted to be there. You wanted to be in that room. You know, uh, you wanted to achieve to go into the dress into the first team dressing room, and it, it, yeah. the rules and regulations were maybe a bit old fashioned in those days. But it it was the one thing you did learn was respect, and it was respect of the senior pros and respect of the manager and the coaches. Absolutely, Joe. I don't think there's anything negative at all about respect. I think you know um, what can I say? Nobody nobody believes in um, brutality or or you know, 
treating people badly. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a healthy respect. And I, and I think you're absolutely, absolutely spot on. So going on to try and kind of just put this into perspective. So am I right in saying that um, you did, you actually, once you'd broken into the to the first team, which, you know, please, please fill us in on that. Um, you did 16 seasons for Manchester City. Is that right? Yeah, 16 seasons, yeah. In fact, the year that we were talking about, 67 when I signed pro, the start of the following season, 67-68, I got my first first team game, which was in the League Cup against Blackpool. And I was right. finished training and the, with the first team having a game, they, they trained very quickly and then gone away. And as I'm going out the door, I'd done, I'd done my bit of training and... As we're going out the door to catch the bus, Dave Ewing said, don't move. And when Dave Ewing said, you don't move, you don't move. And about, he ran upstairs and about 20 minutes later, he come back down and he said, right, get home, have some lunch, go to bed, get back here by half past, half past five. I said, why? He says, you're playing tonight. <laughs> he said, you're playing in the first team tonight. Really? And the reason why was because um, Harry Dowd had got injured and the first team goalkeeper that season was Ken Mulhern, but he'd gone, he'd come from Stockport County and Alan Ogley had gone the other way to Stockport County and Ken had played in the League Cup for Stock, Stockport, so he was cup-tied. So I was the only goalkeeper in, at, at the club. Oh. So that was, that was what he was. I only played twice. I played in the first game when we drew 1-1 and the second game was at Blackpool and we won 2-0. So it was, it was, and then I came out and went back into the, the uh, A and B teams and the, and the reserves. And it was, it was brilliant. It would give you that, as I said to you before about going through the dressing, it give you that, I want this again, I want this again. You know, for, for a young kid coming from grammar school, at, um, work to go and play in front of 30 odd thousand people, it was absolutely awe-inspiring. You just want, you know, it changed, you know, it changed something inside me. I want this, I want this. And it made me work, work hard. And, you know, I was lucky in the fact that I was given the chance to sign as a pro, but, you know, you, you've got to take them chances when they come along. Absolutely, Joe. What, so, what I always try and do with this podcast, as much as I could listen to people like you all day, every day, is I try and pull out the things that will help a young player. So what were your biggest challenges at this period of your career or, or any that you think is really relevant to, you know, because maybe I'm wrong, but to, to get signed as a pro and have 16 years and it all be fluffy and, and, and you know, glorious and everything's fantastic and, and there's no problems, you know, I doubt because life's not like that. I doubt that's true. Um, so what were your biggest challenges, Joe? Or can you can you paint us a picture of any? My biggest challenge was the fact that I hadn't, as you you went through before, I hadn't played at schoolboy level because I was playing in a rugby school. So I didn't play football at schoolboy level. Um, and I was I was then because I was such a big lad, I thankfully I went to a school that did did really well at sport. We had a lot, you know, I played rugby, mm. I played cricket, I played basketball. Mm. You know, I, I kept myself into the scallop sport. Yes. 
and that helped me in, in in the fact that it gives you a discipline to try to keep yourself fit. But when you come into the pro game, it becomes a different kind of fitness, especially when it's a one-off. You know, it's a one sport. Right? You know, as I said to you before, I was I play cricket, what have you. But when you come to playing for a one sport and it's your livelihood. It, you have to learn very quickly. And, you, and I was very, very lucky in the fact that I came into a, a group of people at Manchester City who were just on the start of great things in the in the late 60s. Yeah. And there were some truly magnificent people in that team, not only as footballers, but as people. And it, for a young kid like myself, Tommy yeah. Booth and Bowyer, to come into yeah. that setup, they help you so much. You know, the likes of Tony Buck, Alan Oakes, George Heslop, Franny Lee, Mike Swanby, you know, great people, great players. But that word I always stick by is respect. You know, we used to get, excuse me, we used to get told off, let's put it out, I'll be polite. Um, but you would stand there and take it because you knew what they, what you were being given. It was a, a rollicking, if you want. Yeah, yeah. It was not... As you said, it wasn't brutal. It was to help you because you were going into a you were going into a, a situation where everyone was yeah. a, a piece of a jigsaw. Yeah. And if you didn't do if that piece went missing, the jigsaw never got finished. Yeah. And it was you know so you you listen to them and you try to help fill in that gap that the piece was missing, but in in the way which was best for the team, not for the individual. Absolutely. I mean, Joe, I, I totally get it. I was listening to, uh, and I've forgotten which which player it was, but he said his youth team coach, he said, I was absolutely, and there's a lot of people now who'd say this is not correct, but this is the truth. So there's no point dressing up. He said, I was absolutely, you know, scared of of my youth team coaching, just like you said, if your coach said stand still, you stood still and for as long and you didn't move until he said you can move. And he said, and you know, if we did anything that he w wasn't favorable, we had a we had a dressing down or a rollicking. Now, you know what it's like in the, in, you know, 2020, we ask kids questions instead of telling them where, where they've gone wrong. And I'm not casting aspersions on that, but he said, if he hit his words were, if I hadn't have had that kind of upbringing in my career, I, I reckon I would have wilted as soon as I got into the first team because, you know, the, none of the first team would take any prisoners. If you made a mistake, they let you know. And the supporters, Joe, you, you know, you just said you've got 30,000 people. They ain't going to hold back and tell you what, uh, what you, and he said, without that, he, he said, I wouldn't have been prepared for for the game so you know it's really interesting what you say but it's, it's a bit you know when you go go about the the training for you know you see a lot of players now they do footwork and you have cones but I learned I learned my footwork in a square where Johnny Hart and Dave Ewing and Dick Richardson and Peter Robinson all had a stick Right. You had they would smash the floor at the side of your feet, and you had to move your feet to get out, so you didn't get whacked with the butt with the stick. Yeah, it's brilliant. People say you can't do that. You can't do, but you can't do that. But but 
things have changed. Let's put it that yes, way. Yes, of course. And it was it was just that, as you rightly said before, it was just the way it was. It wasn't brutal. It wasn't beating up. It was just to make you move your feet, and you didn't want to get a whack on your legs. Where where it's now all changed, and it's all cones and hurdles and things like that. Um, you know, we used to jump over people's body. When you jumped over somebody's body, you were, you were the next one that they were going to well, jump over, you know. And yeah. They all used to hate doing it with me because I was one of the biggest fellas in the club, so they all hated it. Yeah. But it was just, it was, I, I thought it was a great, great ground, to, as you rightly say, to, to, to put you in the, in the frame of mind and physically to be able to take the challenge when it came. So... Did you ever lose your way, Joe, in your career? In that, in that, obviously, you know, Blam, you look at those years and anybody who knew that, like, say, late 60s, early 70s, with the players, blimey, you know, you, you, yes, we know Liverpool were coming through and, and Leeds were there or thereabouts. So, but Manchester City had the great players of which you were in that squad, you know. So, but did you personally lose your way at all or, or was, was it? Was it not like that at all for you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, we did because as a, you know, I said to you before, I was a, a working class lad from a working class family, and all of a sudden became local boy does good, and you think you're the bee's knees, and all of a sudden you you, you you do things that you shouldn't have done, and you put you brought down to earth very quickly. And in my first in my first full season, which was sixty nine seventy. I'd won my first under-23 cap. Yeah. I then was in the final. We, we beat Manchester United in the semi-final of the League Cup to go into the final. And just after Christmas, Joe Mercer dropped me. Right. Because I, he said I, was, I wasn't fit enough. And to be fair, at that time, I wasn't. Um, but <laughs> I worked because of that discipline that I'd been given by Malcolm and Dave and John, I worked harder and harder and harder and I, I very quickly got back into the first team again and I didn't want that thing to happen again. But football is football. You, you, you know, it's all, you're not always on the rise. You've, you've got to accept the falls and if you accept the falls and you work hard to get them back. But the one thing I will, will say that and for all the young kids, if you go through a bad patch in your career, if you've not got your basics right and you've not been taught your basics, you'll find it very difficult to get it back right very quickly. If you learn your basics and you listen to the players and the coaches and the sensible things that you've got to take, you've got to be able to take the sensible things away from the rubbish to take, to take that in. And when you're in that bad period, go back to your basics and you'll find you'll come back a lot quicker than if you totally ignore it. And it helped so much, not only at that time, but there was another period of time when the club was going through turmoil where they went out and bought Keith McRae. But I had that belief in myself and I went back to my basics again. And again, I got back in the first team and then I played, I think it was about, I think it was 200 consecutive games. Did you? Yeah, and it was, it was just this, Work ethic, and you know, it, you know, I was taught. It, I was very lucky in having people who really, really helped me a lot, and uh, I, you know, I always appreciated the fact. Um, but I, I still go back. You have to have to be the ability to 
go back to your basics and, and start again. That's yeah, it's wonderful. It's lovely to hear, um, and it just backs up so much. You know, there's, there's some uh, somebody said that, that you know the difference between you know Roger Federer and somebody else who's a decent tennis player is that. It's not that Federer's got 55 more strokes in his bag. He's just better at the, the, the four basic strokes than the, 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 the And I'm not saying I'm right, he's right, but you're, that's what you're, you're, you know, you're saying. And you're saying what you're giving players there, a great anchor. Look, you know, don't worry about taking the ball on your chest, turning and volleying it in the goal. You know, can you receive a ball under pressure better and, and get that right before you, you know, uh, move, move on or whatever it is, Joe, for you in your position, I think. Wonderful. Um, are you glad you played when you did? Yes. I would never change a second of my career. I changed the wages, by the way, but I would never, <laughs> yeah, yeah. never change a second of my career. I, I, I enjoyed, I had highs, great, great highs, and I had also lows and which we've, we've talked about, yeah. about one of them, but I wouldn't give, I wouldn't change it. it. It was a phenomenal era to play football. In. And I was looking at, you know, I played in the 60s, I played in the 70s, and I also played in the 80s. And I was very fortunate to be picked to go to the, um, the, the World Cup in Spain in 82. And when I look at that, that England squad of, eight, of 82, not only did we have 20... I think it was 22 players in the squad. There was another maybe 40 players who could have gone in that squad and played it exactly the same. You know, the, 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 the British team or the British players in that era was were, were phenomenal. They all gone about the ones in the 90s, but for me, the 82 squad was an amazing, you know, Keegan, Brookings, Mills, Mariner, you know, players like that were, you know, brilliant. Brilliant player. Completely solid, like not no frailties or minimal frailties. And like you say, Joe. So on that, Joe, because I know look, let's be let's let's investigate that a bit because you lived and uh played during the era when, and you've already alluded to that, you know, just go to your position. You know, we had the you, you, you know, you all know them, you know, as, as as your friends and your enemies, really. But, you know, your Shiltons and your, you know, your, your Clems, your Phil Parks. Your, I mean, all class, world class players. And you, you know, probably, Joe, um, you know, what was that like? Because there must have been a lot of men. I don't know. Let's be realistic about it. It must have been hard at times to be because, you know, you look at you, you know, blimey. Um, if those people weren't there, you'd have probably got 100 caps. You could look at it like that if you were negative about it, couldn't you? Yeah, I totally agree, but I I got nine caps. But I, if I'd have got one cap, I know, nobody can ever take away the fact that you played for your country. No. And uh, I went with the with the mindset that I was going to play. Well, you know, we used to play on a Saturday You'd receive your papers, you'd play on the Saturday, you'd go down to London to meet up. But I went down hoping, uh, hoping is the right word, to play. Yeah. Preparing myself to play, even though Schultz and Clem were there. You know, and you, you, you look at Phil Parks. He, he played one game for England. Yeah. 
You know, I played nine games and Schiltz played 125 or what how many it was. But you never can take that one thing of no. standing there and the, the national anthem and you're wearing your England shirt. You can't take that away from and mm. it, it it was just something you wanted to do it or you wanted to beat it. I I was in the squad from 76 to 83 and I only played nine times. I played amazing. I played 10 times for the B team and I was the oldest overage players in the, in the under 21. Where are you, mate? Where are you, yeah, yeah. to see and I, I mean I've got the benefits of looking at you and I can tell you know that being a representative of your country with the national anthem and the pride of that it just shines through from you I think we all know that with the pressures of the game and the finances that that uh, the way that people view international football now from a playing point of view has probably changed a little bit but it's, I don't think, you know, the way you look at it is the pride, you know, and that absolute honour. And and the way that, you know, you talk about the fact that you just went anyway and you were there for all those years, you know, it, it's a credit to you as a, as a person. But I think it's the best way, um, you know, it's a great lesson to to take it as an honour and not, not look at the frustrations of the fact that, you know, only 11 people can get on the first team sheet, can't they? Exactly. Exactly, and uh, you know, in, in today's game, it's, it might be a little bit better because you've got the, the big squad system. So you, you know, there are more subs, but you know, you, it, it was difficult to explain it because it's an inner feeling that you have, and if you don't have that inner feeling, I don't think you should be playing football. Mm, I don't. If you can't, if you can't go and represent, or you don't feel like you want to go and represent, I sometimes thought what we're doing here, but. It was always okay. Maybe it was the way I was brought up because my dad was a soldier and all. He was, you know, he was so proud of the country. But how it you couldn't again. I keep repeating myself. If I am, I am sorry, but to, you can't play any higher. No, you're playing at the 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 ultimate you, level. You played against some of the great, great, great players. You know, played against Cruyff and it, it, <laughs> you, made, you know. The way wow. My first game at Wembley was against Brazil, and was it? Oh, it was. So, who was in that team, Joe? Oh, Come I on, let... I, don't, I honestly don't so know. What year was that? That was 70... 76, 77, something like that. And it, it, you know, to think, God, what were you do? You know, my first tour was. I, I was called up for the bicentennial tournament at the end of nineteen seventy, yeah. in the middle of June, July, up in. We played. I was. It was an amazing um, situation where I got my first cap because we we played. 
we played Brazil in um, the Coliseum in Los Angeles. <laughs> Ray played in there. And then we flew from there to New York. And mm-hmm. we, I played my first game. I was a substitute because Jimmy Rimmer played in the first half. Jimmy Rimmer, I forgot about Jimmy Rimmer. Yeah. yeah. We were losing two 0 and I'm at the I'm at the grass end of the of the yeah. stadium, yeah. the baseball stadium, the, the iconic baseball stadium, with three <laughs> three sides. It was, and then I Les Cocker. I could see Les Cocker coming out of the dressing room, and he ran all the way up to me. And went get back in now, and you, you you're playing. I went what? He says get in there. The gaffer wants you. So I went and ran back got my shirt on and went out and I came out and I was in, I was actually, the goal was along the baseline from home base to first base. Brilliant. And the six yard box had that wide area of concrete or what is sand. (laughs) And the the baseball mound was in the edge of the the corner of the 18 yard box. And it was like, what what is this thing going on? But, you know, we ended up winning 3-2 against Italy. You know, and you know, Gentile, and oh, there's nothing yeah. Gentile about him, and Zoff, and all these people. It was, yeah, this is the ultimate in it. I mean, you know, talk about just plucking the greatest players out of the air from other play, you know, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, you know, you think, God, what am I doing here? You, you know, 10 years ago, you were, you were cleaning, cleaning boots, <laughs> you know, it's uh. Beautiful lesson. Real, but but it was, you know, I didn't, and then that was when Don Revy was manager. But it was just, uh, you know, Jimmy. I don't think Jimmy ever played in the in England. Well, I don't think he did. But it it was just incredible. You can't you can't you can't describe the inner feeling that you had at the time. Beautiful, Joe. Absolutely beautiful. I mean. So here you are, you've got, you know, you've talked eloquently about getting into the game, your upbringing, the influence of your dad, you know, how you got into it, your, your, your duties when you were a pro, but, you know, the respect, breaking into the team, the challenges you had, the great players who helped you along, you know, your international career, the highlights of that, which, blimey, just beautiful. What was it like, Joe, when you were coming to the end of your playing career? Um, just to take us out of that and any challenges in that and what that was like for you. And then just so we can get into your into you know your career after the game a little bit. The biggest thing I learned from that was when I, when I was when I was um, playing for City, uh, we I always remember we played a game at Anfield on a boxing day and we won for one. And on the day after, I got a phone call from a gentleman from Dublin and he said, would you be interested in signing for Liverpool? Because Bruce Crobler had just got into the team at that time, in the Liverpool team. And I said, okay, I'd have to, you know, I can't say over the phone. I don't want to say over the phone. So I went into work the morning after on Monday and I got a phone call from Peter Swales and he's, he asked me to go to his office in Altrian. So I went down to Altrian and he said, what's all this? So I said, well, 
I'm asking you, you're the, you're the chairman. He said, Joe, he said, you've got a job here for life. And I said, oh, well, he said, I don't, you're not leaving. You know, what? Anyway, that, that kicked that on the head. But when the end came at City, the same scenario happened where I heard from another club that wanted to sign me. It was Seattle Sounders in America. And I, I got another phone call from Mr. Swale saying, You'd like to see me in Altrium. So I went down again to Altrium, and it was what this was in 1983. Right. And he said to me, What's a, what's all this? It's near enough the same the same words that came out. <laughs> and I said, Well, you tell me. He said, Well, you can go if you want. So I said, Well, wasn't that long ago you were saying I had a job here for life. Well, we can't afford you ages. So right, really. people knew that at the time. And it, that was the reason I left Manchester City because they couldn't afford my wages. So they, I, I was literally told. Yeah, you got to go. So it, and then I, it, it was an amazing, another amazing part of my football career is that you went from the first division, which I played in every, all my six, well, not all the 16 years, but from 67, 69 onwards, was always in the first division. Um, and when I left, they were just above, just below mid-table. Anyway, well, I went to America and it was such a different, it was a different world. It was like um, the old NASL it was, and it was like going on holiday. <laughs> right. you know, with all the family sold my car, sold everything and went across there, took my family, and it was a fantastic, fantastic experience. But the 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 the, the, old, the NSL went bust, bust. Mm. So I was sat out there, no club, and um, a, a young family. What do we do? And I got another phone call from. Uh, uh, the same agent that took me out there said Brighton want to sign right. so I came back and I just couldn't take the chance because you know yeah I have the you know I had to, to get yeah the kid you know get the kids in yeah family mm. that's the, the bit that I just couldn't comprehend one minute I was you're not leaving Manchester City you've got a job here for life and then you're scratching about trying to get another club again Ultimately, Joe, do you think as that that is the brutal world of, of of pro football, isn't it? From my this is only from my point of view. I think it is like that. I think that you know that things change so rapidly, and as as honourable as in, individual people are, um, it's like a show business thing that can change at the drop of a hat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've got to check everything, you've, and that's why you've got to be. In my, in my day, you know, you, you you weren't a multimillionaire. You had to play. You know, you if you didn't play, you didn't get your, your, the, yeah. the full wages. Where whereas today, you know, and it's not their fault. It is they uh, they, they, they you, you see multimillionaires who very more than likely might only play two or three times a season. Mm -hmm. They're multimillionaires, but that's not their fault. It's it's the way the game has evolved and. But in our day, if you you what you had to play, and a lot of us played, went out there and played, not fully fit because you know you were told, you know you knew if you didn't, you, need to play. you weren't there. You had to go out there. 
but it was you've got to take it as you know as another learning step and um, I came back to Brighton um, it, whether it was the right decision or not I don't know but again it gave me another experience of a lower division and different people but Unfortunately, when I was at Brighton, I got a serious injury and to finish it. And that was again another big, big, you know, big influence in what I did next, which was going into goalkeeping coaches because that gap just started to go. Because when I was there at Brighton, I had Peter Benetti came down once a week, once a week, and John Jackson, who used to play for Crystal Palace, he came down once a week, and it was brilliant. And that gave me the next thing to say: well, this is what I want to do. I want to. I want to go and um, okay. give what I've learned to the get to the kids and to the game and to help as much as I can in that mm. Because you look. I mean, you know, Joe. As much as you you're known by supporters as as you know the being part of the you know the city setup and all 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 that you did that we just talked about. You know, blimey. Um, since then, you've gone on and you know, as far as I'm concerned, and you know, you've had a <laughs> a truly established coaching career at, 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 you know at the elite level um, so you've not gone it, it's not something you've done lightly is it it's it's something no. you've taken on no no well again I was very fortunate in the timing of it because it was just the, the start of the goalkeeping the specialised coaches yes is that what I mean and goalkeeping was was a, for me I wish I'd have had someone like me. We have, I had a, a great, great chat with the great Bert Traub. Right. And he he planted the seed. He was the first to plant that seed. It's not all about diving about. and it, It's about talking. It's about teaching by talking because the person who you're talking to, at the, at the level I was coaching at, was you know, at Liverpool for 10 years, were, were top, top goalkeepers. And they knew that you could what you were saying to them. You'd you'd actually experienced that at the top level. And I'm not being. Please don't. I'm not being big-headed or anything. But the one position for me, or I found it easier in the fact that I'd played 602 times for City at the top level. Mm. It it it's a big advantage to talk to someone and tell them what they're doing wrong. Mm. Mm. Because they know you've actually gone through those kind of yes. and situations, so therefore you know what they're going through. Yes, it's just helping them get through that, them, that those mistakes. And you know, again, that comes back to that word respect again. If they didn't respect you, they, you wouldn't you wouldn't get the performances out of the goalkeeper. Mm. Mm. When you look back at your coaching career, Joe, so the time you spent, you know, the, the decade you spent with Liverpool, and, and I know you coached internationally as well, which, you know, blimey, talk about whatever you feel is appropriate. But do you think it was your standing, not because you stood there and said, hey, look at me, it's, it's there for all to see. And I don't think it's that. I think if you've got that kind of, experience behind you you don't need to say anything I know people can lock it up and people can go you know yeah blimey's done this he's done that I'm not talking about I think you as a person are are 
that your presence is because of that experience. So if somebody walks in a room and they've got what people call a presence for whatever that is, it's because uh, a lot of it is because of the experience. So do you think that that was one or or the most valuable thing you you bought to your to the people who who you were helping the players you were helping? Yeah, I think the experience is is the biggest big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's also being able to, to to put what you believe in uh, into them. They, they've got to believe in what you're teaching and that that, that is the right way to do it. Um, they have, but uh, my my biggest experience as a coach was uh, the coach isn't there for himself. The coach is there for the person who really? is talking for the person who is coaching. And if they they cannot if they cannot do something that you want them to do, you have it's up to you to find out through your experience mm. how you can help the person who's in that going through that other situation. Mm. They might not we don't all you don't always agree with the players. You, you you have fallouts and you know but you've got to be able to put the, your point across first and then find out what their capability is to be able to carry that thing out. And if that doesn't happen, you've got, you have then got to change to help the person because it, they're not willing to change. They might not be able to change. You've got to change to help them get better rather than get, you yes. know what I mean? It's, oh, it's, Joe, I, I 100% get it. What, what you're saying is, take yourself take your own ego out of the way because you're if you're if you're this the, there's a great quote from from the a, Ch- a chinese philosopher who said the greatest leaders are the ones that nobody knows are there so you make somebody great but then they look round and actually think it's them who's done it because y- you know you're not there you don't want the lights you don't want the accolades you don't want to be on stage you've just done whatever you need to do whatever that is for that person and it's never about you. It's always about them. That's what you're saying, I think. Yeah, and it's the same when I used to coach in America a lot with youth team players and, 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 and girl, young girls players and things like that. And they didn't have the same kind of what you would call raw ability. They had, a, they had an ability, but you were trying to give them something more and they, they would look at you and they, they, they sometimes didn't understand, but, going, but you had... In those days, I was able to do a little bit more. That means by showing them. Yes. Yeah. Not by talking to be able to show them. Uh, you know, but when yeah. I, in those days, when I'd finished playing, it, it used to take me half an hour to get back up off the floor. So, you yeah. know, you know demonstration is far better than a lot of words, as, as the coach would say. But in goalkeeping terms, you, you have to be able to do the two. You've got to be able to demonstrate. And you've also got to make them believe that what you're saying to them is the right thing. The right thing. Okay, it, it, I've been lucky enough, Joe, um, in the in the in in what I've been say fortunate enough to do. I've I've worked with 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 Ray Clements as a coach. Um, I've I've got a little bit of insight into into how Chilton used to train. Um, I've worked with a few England goalkeeping coaches and one of the ones that has, I've got so much respect for is Simon, Simon Smith. And, and, and I know how Simon works and he, he works on low repetitions, but 
he's really detailed and he's so lovely with his with his players in terms of his his relationships. Um, Ray was very much about. He, 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 I think it was from where he came from. He had this raw natural ability, and actual coaching and training to him was was the icing on the cake. It wasn't. If I compare that to what I know about Shilton, it was like Shilton used to just work, 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 to the point where people used to send him. Apparently, allegedly, used to send him home because he, you know, he, he was wearing himself out. Where do you fit, Joe, if you could, without putting you in a box, what was your secret source, Joe, or what was your, did you have a modus operandi? What, with regards to coaching or to, to playing? No, to playing. So when you're... Playing? Not, not playing, but if you're, as a coach, you know, where did you kind of fit on that thing, if, if, it's, a, if it's a reasonable question? It's a great question because... I was the same as Schultz. I, I used to work, 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 work. And I used to get, I used to want to work and work and everybody right. would be going in. And I remember, I remember um, we're playing in Czechoslovakia in a B team. I'm, I'm sorry to go back, but. No, I love it. We, we were, we were, we were playing in the evening and I did everything with, with, I can't remember who's, oh, Bobby Robson was the manager then. And they finished training and I, Said I, I want to do some more. I'm not right. I want to. Uh, I want to go and do some more. And it, it took. They went away. They took the bus away, and there's me and I, I, I can't. I remember. love it. The, and we we stayed there for another three quarters of an hour to an hour. The bus came back, picked us up, and while we were full enough, as we were going into the foyer of the hotel, all the lads were coming out with all the tracksuits on and everything. And we were like, "What are you?" What are you doing? And we're all going down to the shop. We're selling Havana cigars down the this shop down the road. So we went up to the roof. This is the way your ethics don't get you. Yes. You're in the, what you wanted to do. So I've gone up and got changed very quickly, went down and we got to the shop. But it, the the, uh, the Czechoslovakian army had, had shut it because they saw all these Westerners going in and buying these cheap cigars. Right. By the time we got there, they shut the shop. So I was thinking... Crying out loud, what you yeah. Anyway, but that, that was the way I was. And it, it, I started off with my coaching, exactly the same. But I had to learn very quickly that that wasn't right for everybody. Everybody, yeah. When yeah. you go back to the Clem scenario, Clem was, as a, when we were the three of us, it, me and Schiltz would be training and blowing through every orifice we had. And Clem would be like smoking a cigar at the side of the pitch. And it was... Um, but it's not about what you do in the training session. It's about what you do on the pitch. And Absolutely. You know, Clem had a phenomenal ability that he'd make a save in the first seconds of the game or in the last seconds of the game and done nothing in between. Yeah, yeah. After. It, it was... Yeah, yeah. That's the way he was. When the Schultz and I were a completely different park, she was completely different. Another com- way, you know, he'd do half and half. But it was the way we were and it was our, our stand. But... When you come as a coach, you have to be able to pick that person up very quickly and say, that's the way they've got yes. The biggest biggest asset I ever came across in coaching was was uh, Gerard Houllier. Because he brought, he said to me when I was, he watched me training, he said, Joe, just can I stop you? Took me to one side and he said, do you know the human mind can only react to something for 45 seconds? 
it then gets tired. Your body gets tired. No matter what's in your brain, going in your brain, your body can't react to it. Right. So all these five minutes of diving about isn't doesn't do the you know after okay. four to five seconds. It's just yeah. It's not. It's body. not. It's not after the forty-five seconds the the, the worthwhileness of doing it, the efficiency yeah. of it drops massively. Well, you have, when I learned that, I changed my whole concept of coaching and training. And, and practically, do you think that that is good advice? Do you think that's right? I thought yeah, because I learned that it was a different. The era of, of goalkeeping had changed. It, it started to get the European influence into, into football. You know. Arsene Wenger had come into um, into Arsenal, and Gerard had come into 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 Liverpool, and it, they changed the whole concept of the way they coached and trained players. It was all about minimum times, uh, fast reaction muscles, and you know, not it, not not an hour of sprinting on a Tuesday and then go home and no no. no, no. No, I think the furthest we ever used to run was like one and a half kilometres, and, yeah. and that was it. Whereas when I was at, at City, we would go to Winnership Park on a Monday morning. We'd do a five-mile run, they'd come back to the track, do stretches, then they would do a, some, something was like was called something like a fart like or a whatever. Yeah, it's fast slope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pile-offs, and, and you would you'd run and run and run and run. For what benefit? It was a benefit to us in in the scenario of the fact that we were a very successful team and we were one of the fittest teams in the days that City were playing. But once the European influence came into in the in nineties to two thousand, you saw it all change yeah. to very very short. Yeah, short short stuff. Yeah. You no, know, like you'd you'd be playing a five aside at Liverpool, and Gerard would say, right, three minutes each way. Three minutes each way. What's that? What's all that? And then if it was a nil-nil draw, three minutes each way, which it very, very rarely was, he'd stop the game and right off he go. And then all the lads would be saying, "Well, hang on a minute, we want to, we're drawing. We want a winner." No, that's it finished. It's contrast to the to the shanks play till our, my team wins, yeah, eh? Yeah, yeah. The light, turn the lights off when you finish. You know, it Love was it. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience, and he taught me such a lot about coaching, Gerard. Very, very. He, 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 the details remind you intelligence yeah very very much so Joe it, it's wonderful um, and you know I think this is probably a great great point to because this is pure gold it, it, it's such good stuff if you don't mind just to kind of round it off I'd like to ask you two or three questions just to kind of pull, yeah. pull it together and, and if you don't feel it's appropriate to answer because you might just say, I can't, you know, blimey, you know, if you had to pick one maximum, two of the best, two players that you played with, that you said were the best players I've played with, with, who would they be? Um, with, I would say Colin Bell um, and um, Trevor Book. And Why? Because Belly wasn't for me the complete footballer. He could defend. He could attack. He could box to box. He could head a ball. He could shoot with both feet, and he could run all day. And it was a sad loss to not just Manchester City to England as well when he got that tragic injury yeah. that, that finished his career. Um, 
and Trevor Brookin because A, he's a gentleman. Belly was a gentleman as well, to be fair to him. Um, he was... Trevor had an ability to, 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 to look as if he didn't have a care in the world, yet he, he, his skill levels on, on the sublime. pitch absolutely mm. sublime, sublime. And uh, he was, he, I thought he was a really, truly class player. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Um, on the playing side, if you were to give one piece of advice to a young player now who's listening to this, the best, you've only got one piece of advice for a youngster, what would that be, Joe? Listen to the people that count your mother and father, your parents um, and your coaches and listen to them, take them in. You might not always agree with them, but take yeah. take it in. And the one thing I, I was, have the ability to, if you don't agree with it, try it. If it doesn't work for you, put it in the back of your mind. Don't ever dismiss it. Yeah. Put it in the back of your mind because one day it might come round to the fact that you might need that. Okay. Lovely. Okay. And same thing for, for, for your coach, your coaches. So, so as, as a player, so the best coaches stroke managers that you played for and why, or the best one, the best one I or two was, would have, uh, there, there was two Malcolm Allison when I was a young kid. Yeah. He, he believed in youth. He believed in. He had an ability to be able to cover all areas as a coach, not as a manager, as a coach. Yeah. All areas of football. He 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 knew a lot about goalkeeping, and he taught me such a lot when as a young young kid. Um, Terry Venables, when I was with the under twenty ones. Because even as an old player, he was working with young kids and you, you saw his ability to be able to bring the best out of the young kids of the under-21s. Um, and Gerard Houllier. Gerard yeah, Houllier was a great coach and he was a, he was a great person as well. Oh, that's lovely. And the last question, Joe. So um, what would be your one piece of advice for a budding young coach stroke manager? Learn as much as you can by going to different scenarios. Don't just don't don't just if you have the uh, don't just stay in the what in one position. If you have an an opportunity to go and watch or go abroad and learn 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 different aspects of the game. I know it's difficult sometimes. People can't afford to do it, but if you can go and learn some some other form of football, go and see what the world is capable of because you will learn so much when you're playing abroad and I, I, but you learn a lot here I'm not, please don't just mm. I'm not saying that to bees knees but if you mm. have the opportunity you, you need your base which I would you know for a, a young British coach try and stay here but if you have that opportunity within that scenario go go somewhere else and learn something different and bring it back bring yeah. that back and you use that what you've learned in your base area, if you understand well. Absolutely. Joe, I can't thank you enough. It's been packed from minute one right till now with very personal for me because I just love all this kind of stuff, but you have given so much value and just like your your players that you coached have probably said to you, um, I'm sitting here and I know that I'm, 
being able to be on the receiving end of, you know, all those years of playing with them players and those teams against those players and internationally and, and the coaching experience as well with all those, you know, world leaders of Foulier and Malcolm Allison. So, Joe, thank you so much. It's um, been nothing but a pleasure. So I can't thank you enough for your time, mate. And, um, you know, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it, Robin, and, and I wish you all the very, very best. And I hope it does well. Leader Manager Coach podcast is available via the Leader Manager Coach app. Download it now to access the rich resource of unique, insightful and educational material to help you on your own journey in football, sport and life. Leader Manager Coach. For the game. For life. Available now on Google Play and Apple App Store.